How's everybody doing? Good. Why don't we wave to all the live streamers and to those who might be upstairs. Great to have you. Are you enjoying your summer so far? Good. It is a wonderful thing. I love summers, and I'm not going to mention that days are getting shorter, so we just won't talk about that. <laughs> if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, ushers will get that to you. If you need a pen, hold up a couple fingers. They'll get that to you as well. Uh, real quick, before I get into the sermon, I uh, want to let you know we, the Malawi Pastors and Pastors' Wives Conference is going to be starting up in a, several weeks here. Uh, Steve Starkey is going to be flying over there in a few weeks to be part of it, uh, representing Whitestone there. And uh, we are about 25 couples short of sponsors, and each sponsor costs about $350. And so if you feel like God is asking you to sponsor one of the couples going there, I know that it will be life-changing in their lives. It will mean a lot to them. And uh, if you feel like God's leading you to do that, I'd encourage you to do that. Just get a hold of Steve Starkey or contact the office, and we'll uh, make sure that that happens. Or you can just put it in the giving box and put uh, Pastor Sponsor. All right, I want to thank Pastor Josh and Pastor Kirk for preaching two outstanding sermons the last two weeks. Excellent job, guys. Let's give them a big round of applause for that. Uh, it was... Awesome to learn about these two guys, these not too famous uh, um, guys in the Bible. Um, but let's quick review. Let's see where we've, we've covered so far. First of all, uh, we looked at a dude named Jabez. Jabez. Remember Jabez? All right. And then Josh talked about a little guy by the name of Josiah. Remember Josiah? And then last week we talked about another dude named Bezalel. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, did you guys notice last week how... Kirk was like pronouncing him in the perfect Hebrew pronunciation, Betzalel, he was saying that. And as I heard that, I'm like, I got to remember to do that for my review because uh, Kirk's like fluent in Hebrew names, so he knows his stuff. Uh, anyways, are you ready to do your quiz on Betzalel? Are you? Well, it doesn't sound too, too confident here, but let's go ahead and try it. Okay, I typically start on the wings here. I'm going to start in the center. So this section right here, uh, kids primarily, but if kids can't get it, we'll, we'll go to the adults. First question is this. How is Pastor Kirk and Betzalel similar? We'll come to Kirk later. Let's go to his son. How do you know that your dad and Betzalel are similar? They both built stuff. Good job. Well done, buddy. All right. They were both craftsmen. They worked with their hands. And by the way, Kirk is an outstanding craftsman. Great carpenter. Excellent job. All right. Yeah, give a round of applause to Mr. Craftsman Man there. Those hands aren't just for guitar. All right. Uh, how was Bezalel able to do the amazing work that he did? This section right here. How did he do it? With God. Exactly. What was actually inside him? Who, who gave him the power to do that? It was Spirit of God. Good job, buddy. Uh, you're not going to share that with your son, are you? So I'll give you two. All right, let's go to this section over here. What did Bez Bezalel's name mean? It's a bit of a stumper, isn't it? Come on, adults. Brad, what is it? Don't give me that excuse. I wasn't here. Anybody? Anybody wide open? In the shadow of God. Good job, buddy. Sorry. 
This section over here. What did God use Bezalel to build? What did he build? Why is everybody looking at Grace like she has the answer? <laughs> Anybody? Come on, you guys. Grace? Very good. You get to eat both of those and don't give them to your brothers. They made you do it. All right, it's open to everybody. We've all been given gifts, skills, and talents. We must learn to use our talents for the blank, blank, blank. Hands, people. <laughs> Glory of God's a good answer. That's not the one I'm looking for, though. In the back. What's that? The blessings of the Lord. Not what I was looking for, but I'll give it to you. You, I saw your hand, honey. You said the blessings of God? Is that what you said? There you go. It's not what I'm looking for. You, young man. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Good job, bud. Well done. All right. Got to get rid of some candy. And I'm not going to do the little Josh. I'm going to whip it at you, okay? This is Whitestone. All right, guys in the back, you ready? Front here. Did I really? <laughs> Did I, Ben? Did I, Ben? That baby's getting dedication today, too. So, sorry, Kimmy. Maybe I should do it like Josh. Hey, are there any babies in this section? Sorry, guys. Is she okay? Okay. It's not funny, guys. Don't laugh. All right, here we go. Boy, did I get put in my place. <laughs> All right, in the back. I see those hands. Elizabeth, get ready. All right, in the middle. All right, way in the back. You guys ready? I told you I was going to throw candy at you ladies back there. All right, in the middle. And in the front, here we go. Good job. I really am sorry, Ben and Kimmy, <laughs> my word. All right, good job, everybody. All right, today we have another not-so-famous person of the Bible. And this person, or persons, as we're going to find out, uh, there's plural, are so unfamous, we don't even know what their name is. Um, all we know is that one of them is just a little servant girl, and the others are just servants. And, and that's all we know. In fact, the title of today's sermon is, I've, I've named it this, Nameless Nobodies. Uh, because the heroes of this story, we don't know their name. They are nameless. But we're going to find out that if it wasn't for their persistence and their suggestions, we wouldn't have the story that we're talking about today. It would have never happened, but it did happen because of these nameless nobodies. So let's get into it. Our story today is found in 2 Kings chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, okay? Now there is a trick to finding 2 Kings, chapter, uh, 2 Kings in the Bible. Does anybody know the trick? Find 1 Kings first, and then 2 Kings comes right after. You guys are so blessed to have a pastor that gives you biblical tricks like that. That helps with that. So 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. 
He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So there's this guy named Naaman. I'm sure Kirk would pronounce it Naaman. I don't know. But Naaman was this commander of this entire army of Aram. Now you might be thinking to yourself, now Aram, I've never heard of the country of Aram. Where's Aram from? Well, have you ever heard of Syria? Okay, here's a, here's a map of where Syria is. It's north of Israel, and that Syria is modern-day Aram, okay? So that's where Naaman was from. Now, Naaman was an amazing commander. He was the top dog of all the armies of Aram. He's the one who directed all the battles and all the assaults and all the strategy, and he was super, super good at it. And we can see that God had given him many victories in the battles that he had fought. And notice what it says about him. He was a valiant soldier. In other words, he was a super courageous soldier. He, sh he showed bravery and courage whenever he fought, which I'm sure was an amazing example to the soldiers that were under him. When they watched him fight, it gave them courage and, and, and uh, valor as well. And what I'm wanting you to see in this whole story here is that this guy Naaman was an incredibly great man. In fact, the king of Aram loved him. I'm sure the whole country loved him. He was probably a really famous dude in Aram because he was such an amazing commander. But, and there's a great big but here, but he had what? Leprosy. Okay? Now, if you don't know much about leprosy, you might think, well, this isn't that big deal at all. What's the big deal? It's, trust me, it is a big deal. This is not like saying Naaman was a great commander, but he had really bad acne. This is not saying Naaman was a great dude, but he had bad athlete's foot or gingivitis. No, he has leprosy, and leprosy was a horrible disease, horrible. And one of the worst things about leprosy is that it's contagious, which means that it can spread from person to person. The leprosy germs apparently could spread if someone else touched, if, you touched, if they touched you or you touched them, okay? It, it spread through touch. It's contagious. Just like the flu or having a really bad cold, um, the germs spread, okay? So kids, tell me, when you have a really bad cold and you start coughing, what are you supposed to do? Cover your mouth. Now back in my day, what were we told to do? Use our hand, right? Not your right hand, because you shake people's hands, so you use your, your left hand to cover it. If you're left-handed, use your right hand. But nowadays, what are we told to do to cover our mouth? Yeah, you use your elbow, which for me is like super hard. I have to use two hands, like, you know, and I throw my back out coughing. But uh, then I get germs all over my elbow, and then I hug people. So I'm not sure that really works or not. But that's what we're told, okay? And we do that so we don't spread germs. Exactly. But if you have a cold or flu, you can go out into the public, but you're expected to cover your mouth. Okay, that's the, the polite thing to do. Leprosy was different. Leprosy doesn't spread through the air like a cold does. It spreads by touch. And that being the case, guess what happened to lepers most of the time? Guess what they did to them? Yep, they kicked them out of the city. They kicked them outside the city walls um, so that they wouldn't spread the disease. It's like what somebody used the word quarantine, what we did in COVID. They, they were quarantined. Now, let me explain what leprosy does. Leprosy affects the skin. Okay? It's a skin disease that then goes into the nerves, and it can affect the eyes and other mucous membranes that we have in our body. 
And, and leprosy, it affects the nerves to where it just deadens them. Okay? And if left untreated, it can lead to serious loss of feelings. You lose the, finger, the feelings in your fingers. You lose the feelings in your hands. You lose the feelings in your toes and in your feet. And because those fingers and toes and feet get, um, they lose the feeling, if they get cut or burnt, you can't even tell it's happening. For instance, let's do an analogy. I need a volunteer from a young boy or girl to come up here. Anybody willing to come up? Raise your hand. You want to come, up? come on up here, honey. All right, what's your name, sweetheart? What is it? Lily's. Everybody say hi, Lily. Hi, Lily. All right, Lily, this is what we call a propane torch, okay? See that there? Now, I want you to hold your hand out. You're pretty trusting, Lily. Okay, now, Lily, if I, if I were to hold that flame on your finger, what would happen? Yeah, and would it hurt? Yeah, it would really, really hurt, wouldn't it? Okay, now, if, what if you put your finger out, if you held out your finger, and I went like this, what would happen to your finger? It would get cut. It would get cut. Would that hurt? Mm-hmm. Okay, now, at, tell me, is that a good thing that you, you feel the pain? I don't you don't know? Actually, we, would, we might say, no, it's not a good thing at all to feel pain. It's terrible. But in this situation, it's really good because if you had leprosy and you couldn't feel any pain and I asked you to stick your hand out, I could go like this on your hand and you wouldn't even know I'm burning it. And I could cut your finger and I could cut it right off and you wouldn't even know that I'm doing it because the nerves would be so damaged from the leprosy. That's how bad leprosy was. Okay? So it's good. God gave us pain to be able to know that something's going wrong. Okay, Lily, give it up for Lily. Hang on, Lily, I got some candy for you. There you go, sweetheart. All right. Not sure if it was worth the burn or not, but it was a lot of candy. Okay, so uh, here's some pictures of leprosy. It's kind of not fun to look at, but they will like lose their fingers, they'll lose their toes, and you know, the cuts, because they can't even feel that their finger gets cut or they gets burned, it turns into infection, and it, it's, it's really, really bad. Now, here's the problem. Naaman is the greatest soldier Aram has. He's a super great guy. Everybody loves him. He's an amazing commander, a valiant soldier, and I'm sure everyone is like, how can we go without this guy? We just can't kick him out. I mean, it's a horrible situation. How do you command a large army that you can't be around people? How can you be a good husband and a good father if you can't be around your family? How can you do anything if you're kicked out of the city? This is a very serious problem. Okay, well, let's keep reading. Verse 2, it says, Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. Now, in my opinion, this is a very sad little verse here. But apparently some really bad guys, some raiders, left Aram and they went into the country of Israel and they just, they plundered villages and towns and they took little kids back into their country as slaves and servants. They probably sold them for money. Well, this little young girl got taken from her parents, which I'm sure I can't even imagine as a parent to go through that. She gets taken and apparently Naaman's wife buys this little girl as a slave. She becomes Naaman's wife's servant. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were taken captive and sold into slavery and suddenly I was a piece of property and I belonged to this foreign pagan household, I would be upset. I'd be ticked. I'd be bitter about the whole thing. 
In fact, if I was in this girl's situation and I saw that my master, the guy who had bought me from, you know, into slavery and, and I was his property, if I saw him have leprosy, I'd be kind of like, you know what, serves you right, bud. I mean, here, how could you take a little girl from his parents? It serves you right. But we're going to find out that that's not what happens. Verse 3, she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What does this young, nameless little girl do? She wants to help her master. So she tells her mistress, if my master would simply go to Samaria, there's a guy there that could heal him. She doesn't want to hurt him. She doesn't want to punish him. She doesn't want to make him suffer. She wants to help him. And I love that about this little servant girl. You know what that tells me? She knew God. Her God was a loving God, and therefore she showed love to other people, even her enemies. It also tells me that this little girl knew how powerful her God was. She had faith in the power and might of her God, so much so that she was willing to boldly tell Naaman how he could be healed. And you ought to understand, that was a huge risk. What if he went all the way to this prophet and he wasn't healed? He would come back, he'd be upset at this little servant girl, and he might even put her to death. But she stepped out with courage and she proclaimed it. She knew how powerful her God was, and she showed no fear, and she, she tells Naaman about it. Now, another thing that was so impressive about this is that she's proclaiming how powerful her God is in a nation where they worship pagan, evil, satanic forces of darkness, other gods. And, and so for her to stand forth and say, this is the God of Israel, was a pretty dangerous thing to do. But she did it. And what an amazing thing. And we should learn from her example. We should never be ashamed of proclaiming of the goodness and power of our God in a world around us. Amen? Let me tell you guys, our world is dark. Our world is evil. Our world hates our God. But that doesn't mean that we shy away from standing up and proclaiming how great our God is. If we do, God can use it to proclaim his power and goodness to the world. So let's be courageous like this little girl. Now, here's what I find interesting. Let's keep reading a bit more. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now, here's what I find interesting. Here's this young, nameless, little slave girl. She courageously proclaims to the highest-ranking commander in the nation about this prophet of God who could heal his leprosy. And you know what's crazy? He believes her. I find that amazing. If I had cancer... And a little eight-year-old girl comes up to me and says, Pastor Luke, just to let you know that there's a guy named Juancho Gonzalez in Mexico, and if you went to him, he could heal you of your cancer. I'd be like, that's really nice, sweetheart, really good. Now run along, go wash the dishes. I wouldn't listen to her. But Naaman listened to, listens to her. This young, nameless little servant girl tells Naaman of this prophet of God in Samaria who could heal him, and Naaman instantly believes her, so much so that he goes to the king of Aram and tells the king about this, this prophet. And he's basically saying, guys, uh, or king, there is a prophet in Samaria who could heal my leprosy. And I can imagine the king going, who's your source? Well, it's a little young girl, slave girl that told me this. But guess what? The king instantly believes it. Kids, here's what I want you to see. In fact, here's what I want everybody to see. 
God showed, was pouring out his favor on this little girl, and her words were having impact. And sometimes we wallow around in our lowliness, and we think we don't matter. I'm just a nobody. God won't use me. God can't use me. Everybody else is way up here, and I'm just way down here. And so I'm just going to sit in my little dark hole and not do anything. I'm useless. Listen to me. Everyone. I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, or how unimportant you may think you are, if you know God and you believe in God, God can use you to literally impact a nation. And that's exactly what God is doing with this little girl. If you think you're a nobody, this little girl was way more of a nobody than you are. She was a lowly slave girl, an outsider, a little kid, and yet God is using her to impact a nation. And these little girl's words were being brought before the king. She was given audience to the king. Think about that. Listen to me. God can use you to impact anyone, anywhere, at any time. So be bold. Be bold. The king hears what this little girl said, and he's like, dude, do it. Go. Go see this guy, Naaman. I'll write a letter to the king of Israel, and, and let's make this happen. So verse five, Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman, on the word of a little girl, heads off to Israel to meet with this prophet, and he has all sorts of loot with him, treasure with him, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 outfits. Not really understanding why he brought all these little outfits, but he did. Uh, according to modern day times, that's $1.2 million worth of treasure, okay, to the person who can heal him. And he has a letter from the king. Now, I don't know about you, but I read this letter and I was like, I don't think this king put a whole lot of time into writing this letter. He just kind of really quick jotted something down. It's the shortest, the most to the point letter you've ever seen. And I love what it says. It basically says, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman so you can cure him of his leprosy. <laughs> like, thanks for the context, king of Aram. You don't explain it yourself. What is this all about? Now, you have to understand, Aram is a large, powerful country. It has conquered Israel before. Aram is a formidable enemy. And Naaman shows up with this letter that says, hey, listen, I need you to cure my servant Naaman of leprosy. Good luck. Now, can you imagine what the king would feel like? I mean, how would you feel? If you were given this letter, how would you respond to that? You'd be like, okay, uh, right, I'll just cure this leprosy. Awesome. I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. You know, I'm kind of in a pickle. Well, let's see what the king of Israel does. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What does this fellow, why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. So just so we have some context, the king of Israel mentioned here in, in this story is King Jehoram. I'm not sure how Kirk would pronounce it, but it was Jehoram, okay? Has anybody heard of King Ahab? Incredibly wicked, evil king. Apparently, Jehoram was his son, okay? Incredibly wicked, also bad, bad king. He did not follow God. He did not worship God. He did not acknowledge God. He was just the opposite. He worshiped other gods. So anyways... Naaman shows up with this letter, and just as we would expect, the king of Israel is like reading this letter and going, what? 
what do you, what am, what am I supposed to do? I mean, what is he, does he think I can cure this leprosy? This is ridiculous. He's just trying to pick a fight with me. Little sucker wants to go to war with me, doesn't he? Of course he knows that I can't heal this Naaman, and when I send him back full of leprosy, he's gonna go, all right, you didn't do it, I'm gonna wipe you out, and it would be bye-bye Israel. This is terrible, and he's like, no, and what does he begin to do? Tear his robes, tear his clothes. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never understood that. Why did they rip their clothes back then? I mean, I can think of a dozen less destructive ways to show your pain and concern and dismay. I mean, if I was upset, I'd just be like, no, I'd shake my fist in the air. Haven't hurt anything, haven't destroyed anything, okay? If I have to, give me a napkin, I'll rip the napkin, you know? Just tear a napkin up. Anything, but I'm not gonna tear my clothes. And I've always wondered, what if the king was like really wimpy? And he's at super tick, and he's like, no! Well, you know what I mean. Okay. What if, husbands, what if we did that? Imagine how upset our wives would be every time we get ticked, we tear our clothes. Like, oh, I left my wallet at home again. Dog pooped in the house again. We'd be tearing things, we'd be destroying our clothes. I don't know why they did it, but that's what they did. It makes no sense to me. But let's reenact it. I need a volunteer. Any kids, little kid, want to come up here? Come on up here, sweetheart. Yep, you and pink. Come on up here. All right, I want you to put this on. What's your name? Tell everybody your name. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Everybody say hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Go ahead and put that, that shirt on. We don't want you to tear your good clothes. All right. Good job. All right, now I want you to imagine, Elizabeth, that you come home and you walk in the door and you're told your little pet, your hamster, Skittles, was found dead in its cage, okay? And you go, no, and you rip your clothes. Go ahead, okay? Imagine, your little hamster Skittles is dead. Rip your clothes out of anger and discouragement. Not your clothes, this shirt. Do it. <laughs> Act like you're going to rip it. Come on. You're, you're doing this analogy. Rip it. Come on, rip it. Get mad. Get mad. Okay, let me help you. Pull tight. All right, now, get mad. Skittles is dead. Rip it. There you go. Rip it. Rip it. It's Skittles, Elizabeth. There you go. Give it up for Elizabeth. Here you go, hon. There you go. You can keep that as a souvenir of Skittles. <laughs> you don't want to, do you? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I don't know. Just kind of a weird habit that they did. Now, something stands out to me here. Needless to say, this king is really, really upset. I mean, really upset. And this tells me something. Obviously, this king has no power to heal Naaman, okay? Secondly, obviously this king has no relationship with the God who could heal Naaman. Nor does he have any relationship, or at least a good relationship, with the prophet of God who could heal this, this man Naaman. Okay? This king is living a godless life. And without God in his life, he's living a helpless life. Guys, let me tell you something. Living without God 
is a helpless life. I mean, if the king knew God and had a good relationship with the prophet of God, he would have instantly been like, oh, yeah, Naaman, sure. Yeah, there's a guy down in Samaria. Uh, just go down there. He's a prophet of God. The power of God flows through him. He'll heal your leprosy, no problem. Here, I'll give you the directions. Go to his house. That would have happened. But this king was not like that. He didn't respond like that at all. He just gets upset and starts tearing his clothes. Good thing Naaman had like 10 other outfits there. Maybe he would have ripped those too. But let's keep reading. Verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. And I love this. Elisha's basically thinking like I'm thinking. He's just like, dude, <laughs> why'd you tear your clothes, bro? You know, just send him down to me because I'll, show, I'll prove to the world that there is a prophet in Israel, a prophet of God. And, but he, he, he's saying this. He's like, listen, I know this is a big deal to you because you don't know God. You obviously find yourself in a big quandary. Send him to me. And they'll realize that there is a God in Israel, not just some wimpy, faithless, godless king. So verse 9, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So Naaman heads on down to Samaria where Elisha is living and he's got his big entourage. He's got horses and chariots and they're all, dun, 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 you know, they're riding down there. And they pull up in front of his house and it's probably this big loud racket. And they're like, my word, who's in the servant guys looking out and like, oh my word, Elisha, there's a big important dude here right in front of the house. And guess what Elisha does? He just keeps sitting there, drinking his soda, and says, go tell him to dunk in the river seven times. And so the servant goes out there and says, hey, Elisha wants you to go dunk in the Jordan River seven times. He simply sends out his servant. Let me ask you a question. If someone important pulled up to your house in this big entourage with a big you know, Cadillac or a limo and a bunch of cars behind it, what would you do? You'd be like, sweet, there's someone important. I'm going to go meet them. Elisha doesn't even get up. He just sends his servant. I find that funny. Now, you have to understand this is very humbling for Naaman. Naaman is used to being treated with respect and honor. He's some big daddy commander in his nation. He's used to being held in high regard by his people. And when Elisha doesn't even come to the door, this is very humbling. And not only that, the servant tells him to go dunk himself seven times in the Jordan River. If you do that, your leprosy will be healed. Well, Naaman doesn't like that. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cheer me of his leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman is ticked. And you don't see him tearing his clothes. He's just showing everybody he's ticked. He storms off, he's ticked off, and he's like, you know what? I thought at least he would come out, and he would call on the name of his God, and he'd wave his hand over me, and boom, the leprosy would be gone. But no, he doesn't even come out to see me. And he gives me some silly directions to go dunk myself in the Jordan River, really? The Jordan, are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. The, the Abana River and the Farpar River are way better rivers in my country. Why would he have me dunk in the Jordan? What a joke. This is ridiculous. 
I came all the way here to be told this, and full of anger, he decides to leave. Now, here's what I want us to see. Naaman had his idea of how God was going to work all this out. He had it all figured out. The prophet was going to come out, put on a good show. He's going to be like calling out on the name of his God and be like, and, and the fireworks would go off and boom, the leprosy would be gone. It'd be awesome and they'd throw a big party. But that isn't what happened. And when things didn't happen the way that he thought they should or that they would, he was offended. And now that he was offended for not getting his way, he just decides he's going to leave. I mean, seriously, if all it takes is to wash in a dumb river, I have better rivers in my country, I'll just do it there. I don't need to do it here. I'm out of here. And you know, I completely understand Naaman's thinking here. And I'm sure you can too. Because sometimes we expect God to work the way we want him to. We have our expectations of how it's going to happen. We can picture how, you know, we can think about it and, and picture in our minds how the whole thing's gonna go down. We, we've seen the vision of it. This is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen, and this is gonna happen, it's gonna be glorious, and we'll maybe even throw a party. But then all of a sudden, what we expected doesn't happen. Our spouse suddenly dies. A child is born with a long, severe disease. We get laid off or fired from the job that we love. We get diagnosed with cancer. Our mom or dad suddenly dies, and we're still just a teenager. And the list goes on and on of things that happened that weren't what we expected. And when it doesn't happen the way we expect it, we get angry. And we end up turning our backs on him because of our anger. Somehow we feel offended by God and we get angry at him. And it's easy for us to let ourselves feel that. I get it, it is easy, but I wanna encourage you, don't do that. I know it's easy, but don't. Don't put expectations on God. You can't put God in a box, he doesn't fit. The God of this universe does not fit in a box. So don't place your expectations on him. Don't paint him into a corner of what you think he should do. He's God and we are not. Be okay with that. Just trust him. Now we may not understand God all the time. We may not understand God half the time. But we can trust God all the time. Amen? Well, Naaman's box for God was not filled. He was not happy. And so he decides to just leave and go back home. I'm just going to take my 1.2 million and go back home. Well, guess who steps to the plate and saves the day? More servants. Check this out. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more, then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Naaman's, serv Naaman's servants get together and they're like, uh, are we missing something here? What are, what are we missing? I mean, why wouldn't he just go dunk in the river of Jordan? I mean, it's, it's not like the prophet is asking him to cut off all of his fingers. It's just go in the river, dunk seven times. Easy peasy, man. We should go tell him to just do it. 
So they're like, well, why don't you go tell him? Well, I'm not going to go tell him. He's mad right now. Well, I'm not going to tell him. Well, let's go together. So they go together to, to, Jordan, or to, to Naaman, and they're like, listen, Naaman, here's what's weird, Naaman. If, if Elisha would have told you to do something hard, you would have actually probably done it. Because somehow in a weird way, you think that you would have been, that would have been the healing ticket. But instead, he's asked you to do something super easy. Why not do it? I mean, the Jordan River is right over there. Go dunk yourself seven times. It's not that hard. At least do what he says. If it doesn't work, then get mad. But you can't get mad not having tried it. And you know, while I was meditating and pondering the story, it kind of hit me how we are the same way. We like to earn things, don't we? We like to think that if we do something hard and we earn it, it makes us feel good about ourselves. And I think Naaman was thinking exactly that. I mean, what if Elisha was like, Naaman, here's what I want you to do. I want you to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. On the south face of the mountain, there's an eagle's nest. Scale that cliff, go to the eagle's nest. You'll have to fight the eagle off, but get one of the eggs. Go take it home, boil it, and then put some sprinkles, some sage on it. Put your feet in hot burning coal and eat the egg, and you will be healed. I truly think Naaman would have done that. And he would have felt good about himself. He would have, in a sense, earned his healing. And if people would have asked him how he was healed, he would have talked about everything he did. Oh, you want to know how I was healed? Well, let me tell you, man. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. The cell, I, mean, I had to scale this thing. And I went up there. There's this big nest. And the eagle's like, ah, ah, And I'm fighting it off. I get one of the eggs. And I go all the way home. And I boil it. And I put my feet in hot, hot coals. And I eat this egg. And, and I'm healed. That's how I'm here today. I have earned this thing. And I think we're like that with the grace of God. We feel like we need to earn it. God's grace, God's power that flows through us, doing things in us we could never do on our own. If we do something long enough, or if we work hard enough, or if we restrict ourselves from something long enough, we will then deserve the grace of God to be poured out on us. But that's not how the grace of God works. We don't earn it. There isn't any way we can earn the grace of God. It's given to us. Now, don't get me wrong, there is effort that needs to be applied. There are things we must do. But we aren't earning grace by doing these things. Naaman did need to go to the Jordan River and dunk himself. He did, not, he did need to put forth some effort, but he wasn't earning his healing. It was being given to him as a gift from God. Guys, God's grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We don't earn God's grace. It's given to us. And remember... In, in, in uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And what does it say? It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one could boast. You see, guys, if we could earn God's grace, what would we do? We'd brag about it. You want to know how I got God's grace? Well, let me, let me just tell you. I mean, I fasted for three months. I memorized six books of the Bible. I led five Bible studies a day for three years. And then I went to the Holy Land. And on Mount of Olives, I prayed all night long. And God was like, finally, Luke, you deserve my grace. <laughs> I'll give it to you. No. We don't earn it. God gives it to us. 
Well, these nameless nobodies, nameless lowly servants, they come to Naaman and they talk some sense into him. They're like, dude, just go dunk yourself. It isn't that hard. Don't be a fool. So Naaman goes, decides to go ahead and do it. So he went down. He dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And I can imagine Naaman going, fine. Goes down the Jordan River, climbs in, he goes, this is so dumb. One, why am I doing this? Two, this is so ridiculous. Four, I feel like an idiot. Five, six, and then seven, and he comes out, and what happens? His skin is what? Clean, but it's not just go back to normal, it's what? It's like a young boy. I mean, he gets home and his wife's like, dude, you look like a little kid. (laughs) That's how much God healed him, isn't that awesome? Now I want you to pay attention to what happens after Naaman is healed in verse 15. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God and he stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now when Naaman was healed, he went to Elisha, and tell me kids, who did he give all the glory to? God, right? He didn't come up to Elisha and be like, dude, I can't believe how awesome I am. I mean, I left here, and I went all the way to the Jordan River, and I literally climbed in by myself, and I literally did the whole dunking by myself, and now look at me. No, he gave all the glory to God. He says, now I know that the God of Israel is the true God of the universe. He is the one true God. Naaman gave God all the glory for his healing. And that's the beauty of the story. When you don't put God in a box and you trust him and you don't try to earn his grace but you simply obey him and let him work, he does great, great things. And he gets all the glory. Amen? There is so much more to this story. I didn't have time to cover it all. So I would encourage you to read to the end of the chapter. And learn what God wants to show you. Now, of course, God is the true hero of the story. He always is. But there, as we've learned, there are other heroes that need to be mentioned as well. Because if these heroes had not stepped forward and said something, we would not be talking about this story today. And tell me, kids, who are these heroes of the story today? The servants. Nameless nobodies. These nameless nobodies had more faith than Naaman. They had more faith than the king of Aram. They had more faith than the king of Israel. And out of their faith, they urged Naaman to be obedient. And in doing so, Naaman was healed. And I said this earlier, but I'm going to repeat it because here's what I want you to walk away with today. God can use you, and I mean you, to impact anyone, anywhere, at any time. Be bold, Whitestone. Amen? If God can use some nameless nobodies, he can use you, and he will use you if you simply trust and obey him. So let's choose to be a group of people that God can use. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this little story that's just been plopped down in the middle of the Old Testament. And we can learn from these simple servants who we aren't even given their names, but God, you use them to do great and mighty things. May we be bold in this world that we live. 
And may we shine your light in the darkness around us. And may you use us. And may you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Amen. Guys, I love you very, very much. Um, If anybody would like to be prayed for, Susanna's up here. She would love to pray with you. So come on up. See you.